I wanted, I and I, and the thing is, is over the course from like 2010 to 2015, I had done nothing but just like a lot of rehabs. And I just like, oh, big check, big check, big check, right? Yeah. And then, so we hadn't really focused on passive income. So all of a sudden became all about passive income for us. Yeah. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right, thank you for joining me on the show. Welcome back if you've been here before. If you haven't, welcome as a first timer. I appreciate you being here. This is gonna be a lot of fun. We are gonna talk about self-storage today and I have an expert in that area. Her name is Stacy Rossetti. She is a real estate investing expert, speaker and coach, and she's focused on self-storage. And uh, she is gonna go into that pretty deeply and give us some really, really great gold bombs on how to be in that space and do it right. She owns and operates the REI USA and Storage Nerds. She has overcome many trials and tribulations, and today she runs several successful small businesses. And we really dig into self-storage, and I had a lot of fun doing it. As someone who doesn't know much about self-storage, I always enjoy having folks on who have an expertise in an area where I'm a little bit blind, a blind spot for me. And uh, Stacy delivered like crazy. So I'm excited for this, guys. I know you're going to enjoy it. Buckle up, get a piece of paper and a pen, sit down and get ready to learn. I give you Stacy Rossetti. All right, Stacy, thank you for doing this. I appreciate you being on the sh- appreciate you being on the show, and and welcome to Just Start Real Estate. Thanks for being here. No problem. Thank you. I appreciate for I appreciate you for letting me come and hang out for a little bit. Absolutely. Uh, we talked a little bit pre-record. Uh, we actually had to do it twice because I for the first time ever I forgot to hit record. Uh, but we were. I was telling you I don't know anything about self-storage. I don't really understand. I understand it philosophically, but I don't have a lot of depth of knowledge. Um, but let's dial back because I think it's always interesting and I, I don't know the answer to this, but uh, what, if anything, were you involved in prior to real estate? Did you have a life prior to real estate? And then if so, what was it and what got you into real estate to begin with? Well, it's going to be, it's, it's weird, but um, I actually, I worked for a company that built wind turbines. Okay. And uh, I did actually, I was the, I was pre-development. So I was the one that went to the communities and asked them if it was okay if we put wind farms in the back, in their backyards. How did that go, by the way? Are people generally open to it? Yeah, everybody's pretty much open to it. There's a couple. There's a couple areas where they're just like no, but most mostly because you get paid and the and it's it's good right. for the economy. It's good for the cities and stuff. So everybody's yeah. pretty much open to it. Yeah, and it's not one of those like super like whatever like CD. It's like some weird business that you're trying to convince people. No, no, no. Really, it's okay. Um, yeah, it's generally people I think understand that wind is just a great clean way to produce energy. So that's cool that people were were down with it. So you didn't have to go to like town meetings where they're screaming we will never have wind turbines in our city and you had to argue with I didn't them. do that mostly nobody <laughs> even showed up honestly. <laughs> that's funny I don't know if that stuff is real yeah exactly I think it was maybe back real in the 1800s people gathered in towns and, and thumped on you know desks and screamed what they wanted through stones at the, it, you know, yeah the yeah exactly um all right so 
how long did you do that, by the way? How long was that your job? I did that for a while, for like eight years. Okay. Yeah, so as soon as I graduated college, then I did that for like eight years. And then, um, and then God, after that got into real estate investing. Oh, okay. So, okay. So you did that for eight years. What made you want to leave that? Cause you said you liked that. I kind of talked over you, but I think you said you liked doing it. Why did you, why'd you leave that? And why was, or did, let me, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I know a lot of times with people, they do it as a way to generate extra income and then realize they love it. Like what made you leave your, your career to do this? Well, so the working in the wind industry is a very lucrative industry, actually. So I didn't leave it because I wasn't making enough money. I left it honestly because I was traveling way too much. Okay. I was traveling like 75% of the time. And after eight years of just traveling all the time, I just got burnt out. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. So that's what I did. And then also my husband started a um a home inspection company. Mm. And, um, and, and he was this, like, when he started, he was like this really quiet guy that just kind of like did his thing. And then like, I saw him kind of over the, over the first couple of years, really blossom and come out of his shell. And I, and I was like getting all jealous. And I was like, you know, I'm here working for the man and he's over there, like building his own company. And I was yeah. like, I want to do that too, you know? And he happened to be in home inspections. Right. So that was right in like 2009, 2010. Okay. And uh, we, you know, that's when he was going to all these houses and seeing all these like dumpy, ugly houses and they're all foreclosures and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And he was like, man, there's a lot of really good houses out there. He's like, we should really, he got, he's like, we should really get into real estate investing. I think now is a good time. I'm, I'm seeing a lot of really good houses that we can buy and flip. So it was really ultimately him. And, 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 and he was the one that kind of got me into the real estate investing world. Yeah. He was not wrong. That was a good time prior to, you know, what the media screams at you, like, like, it's it's typically back in 0809 I remember it was just like real estate bad you know with no context and so yeah I suppose if you were trying to get top dollar real estate bad but if you're an investor like anything else when the price goes down that's when you're supposed to buy so he was absolutely right so you started off then is it fair to say as a flipper were you flipping yeah. houses? Okay. Yeah. So wholesale, like, I, I tried to wholesale, but honestly, I would like a, like a property would come across my plate and I'd be like, Ooh, I can totally rehab that. <laughs> I was one of those people. Like I didn't really wholesale. I just kept them and rehabbed them. Yeah. And um, what was really good about that time and really has like catapulted me into what I'm doing now is that, um, you know, back in the day when you were trying to wholesale and rehab in 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, there was not a lot of money out there. Yeah. There just wasn't a lot of money to borrow. So you had to really be super resourceful finding money and like, you know, finding lenders and private lenders and, thing, and things like that. Yeah. And essentially that's what I did is I became like 100% privately funded and I just used all that money to do all these rehabs. And ultimately what I did is now I'm funneling all those that private money and using all that money private money into all the storage facilities I'm buying. Well, that brings up a great question. And this is something that I've heard people talk about because I agree with you prior to the, that huge, you know, correction, we'll just call it in, in like 08, 09 people, you could almost walk into a bank and if you had a heartbeat and you could walk on two feet, like they would give you money. And then obviously everything happened that happened. And it was like, oh, it's a lot harder to get money now. Like everyone's tightening up. Even hard money lenders were tightening down their requirements and they're raising their rates and private money became kind of the only game in town. And mm -hmm. luckily, I think private money folks, people who have, you know, have money personally, were not doing well in the stock market. So they were looking for it. So it was a perfect storm. Uh, but my question is, okay, because I've gone through this before. I find someone, and I was flipping houses back then too, but I find someone who's willing to fund a flip. Uh, they know that they're going to lend me the money and within four to six months, they're going to get it back. 
what you turn those private money people into is a completely different vehicle and one would think a slightly different lender. How did you, how did you um, approach those conversations with these private money folks to get them to lend in a much different way than what they were used to? I told them what my terms are. And Which, my terms, my terms are at least three years up to 10 years, you know, 12 years. I have one that's like 12 years, but I just told them like, look, my minimum is three years now. I mean, because essentially if you buy a property, which I buy mismanaged properties, mismanaged storage facilities, mm -hmm. it's going to take that long to get it up and running and get a, you know, a P&L and balance sheet that the banks are going to want, are going to be okay with to refi out. It's going to take okay. at least three years, if not longer. So essentially I just became more and more confident in just telling my lenders what my terms were. Okay. Right. My terms are the minimum is three years. And really, honestly, you know, the lenders that I work with now, I mean, they don't want their money back. Yeah. That is. A, yeah. And, and so did you lose um, private lenders because they said, you know what? I'm not Stacey. I don't, I don't want to do that. I, I lost very few. Okay. Like the ones that were, and actually what happened is I increased my minimum. Okay as well too, because you have to be able, you have to buy a storage facility now. So these are like a couple hundred thousand dollars. So I did lose the ones that were like under a couple hundred thousand dollars, some of them, okay. um, you know, but very minimum. I mean, they're, you know, if you kind of explain to them, like, look, it's just, it's a win-win situation and you're going to be getting an interest only payment for over the course of the next couple of years, you know, you know, why not just do that instead of having to move your money all the people think that they can make more money by sitting there and moving it moving but the truth mm -hmm. is it's just like it's so much work to do that and you know, keep, keep you have to keep track of all your taxes and the k9s and it's just like yep. it's, it becomes a lot of work but lenders don't uh, realize that and to explain it to them and so now my lenders i mean they're lending to me on at least three years but one or five years or longer and they're just you know i never even talk to them they get their k9 at the end of the year and that's it yeah. You know, we're happy. Yeah. And I think a lot of times people don't understand, like, I don't know what you're paying them and we can maybe get into that later or maybe not, but whatever you're paying them, they may think I can, I can charge more. I can get more if I do it myself. But to your point, you know, this is the thing I think that a lot of people who have a little bit of money and they're thinking about pooling it or investing in storage or in multifamily, whatever. And they say, I don't want to do that because I can make more on my own. That's true if the money's busy all the time. So they might lend to you for five years, but there are there are not three month gaps where it's not being utilized. And so yeah. whatever they think they can get, you have to factor in, it's only active maybe nine or eight or nine months out of the year, which significantly changes their returns, right? So it's kind of one of those things. So that's interesting. Now, I'm wondering a person who was out there fixing and flipping because there were so many deals and there really, really were, where did self-storage hit your radar and why, how, how did that happen? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I was one of those crazy people that were, was doing like 15 rehabs at a time. Okay. All right. And uh, I, I'm like volume. I'm all about, even now, like volume, like I'm going to buy as many storage facilities as I can, you know? Uh, but um, so, and what happened is that I got pregnant. Okay. So I, I had, I had 15 rehabs and I got pregnant and we had 15 in the pipeline. Wow. And so in my mind, I was, I was like, as a female and a woman and a mother to be, I was thinking, how am I going to be able to do this? There is no way. Because the truth of the matter is, is that like you have people that are managing everything, but you're kind of like the meat of the bus, especially in rehabbing, as you know, like mm -hmm. 
you know, just doing two or three rehabs is crazy. Thinking about 15 is like, it's just utter bonkers. And uh, so I was just like, I told my husband, that's it. We're not buying any more rehabs. We're done. We're done buying properties. And so we stopped buying them. And then we had to finish those out. And it took us years to finish those properties out. Um, but, um, and so what I did is as I started finishing all these rehabs up, I was convincing these lenders to just roll it into something else. Because I, as a mother, what I wanted was I wanted security. Mm-hmm. I wanted, I and I, and the thing is, is over the course from like 2010 to 2015, I had done nothing but just like a lot of rehabs. And I just like, oh, big check, big check, big check, right? Yep. And then, so we hadn't really focused on passive income. So all of a sudden became all about passive income for us. Yeah. And we had my husband's like, you know, home inspection company coming at money coming in as like kind of like our foundation that we would live off of and stuff. And then yeah. all you know, every once in a while we'd close on a storage, I mean, on a, on a rehab and be like, all right, we got some extra money and probably roll that right into another deal. It's kind of, that's really how it worked. Okay. And um, so we started focusing on passive income. And what happened was I told, I have a realtor that I've been working with for like 10 years. And I told my realtor, I said, okay, we, instead of buying houses, I want to buy like something that's passive. And so he started feeding me like multifamily. And this is back in 2015 when like multifamily was like, nobody wanted multifamily. It's like <laughs> barely just starting, you know, yeah. I would go out and look at these deals, multifamily, but they all were like huge, big rehabs and stuff. And yeah. I was just like not in the mood for that. So then I was like, well, maybe I can buy, I can roll all this money into like portfolios of houses, yeah. you know, and put, you know, and then um, buy these portfolios. So then I was like, but then I was like, okay, well then I'm going to get like 20 or 30 houses and have to deal with all that. Luckily my, uh, my realtor found a storage facility that was literally like 20 minutes away from our house. And it had been sitting on the market for five years. Wow. And this is back when things used to sit on the market for like five years and nobody would buy them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, and uh, we just were, we were just actually just fell into our lap just at the right, at the perfect time. And, um, and so I went over, I drove over and took a look at it and it was this like dumpy facility, right? Like I drove up to the gate and there was like all these, like, there was like, there was probably like 200 tires, (laughs) <laughs> just sitting right next to the gate. That's yeah. how dumpy it was, right? Yeah. People just had been using it as a dumping ground. But I drove up and I was like, oh, I love this place so much. Because, you know, a dumpy facility for me is like the most beautiful thing in the world, right? Because yeah, yeah. I know, I can see, I can visualize that transformation. And so I was like, yes, I'm definitely interested. And that's basically what happened. Is like I got pregnant and then all of a sudden I was all about passive income. Nice. So, Okay. You saw this facility and you said, this looks great, but I know because I'm relatively ignorant of storage facilities, it's different than flipping houses. The, even like the, the, the evaluation process or how do you know what it's worth? How do you know what it can be worth? How do you know what it's going to generate? Where did all of that education come from? How did you figure all that out? That's just like trial and error for us. Unfortunately, and like this, the way the self-storage investing world works is it's like, first of all, it's like super small. It's a very small niche. I mean, think about it. There's only 50,000 storage facilities in the country. That's a thousand storage facilities per state. Mm-hmm. Okay. And 20% of all of those are all owned by like REITs. Mm, That means like out of a thousand only, there's only 800 storage facilities in your state. And a lot of them are owned by the same, you know, a lot of them have like, you know, two, three, four or whatever. And um, so there's really not a lot of pickings out there. Now there's definitely, in my personal opinion, there's not enough storage facilities. I mean, we're full, we've got eight facilities and uh, we're, we're, uh, we're full. 
Uh, so we're looking for more, but um, essentially that's kind of how it worked. And, and, and we just, it's just trial by error. Our very first facility that we bought, I mean, I, I was so scared to raise the rates. And essentially I tell my students now, it's like, as soon as you get that thing, you raise the rates, right? Because yeah. I don't want them to go through what I did, but it took us a year to raise their rates because I was so scared. And the, and the owner of that facility beforehand, we had honored his rates and he had charged, he was charging like a quarter of what the market should have been. Okay. So I had no idea what I was doing. So I, we, we eventually we raised rates. We gave them like two months of notice. We emailed everybody, let everybody know. And, and guess what happened? Nobody left. Nobody complained, nothing. <laughs> I was like kicking myself in the butt because essentially we wasted like a whole year of all that income that we could have got, yeah. you know? And so that's one of the things that I, you know, I teach my students is like, you just like, don't be afraid to run your business and make, and be, and make a profit because that's the whole point of buying these things. Tell everyone where you, where are you in, well, not where you're investing. It's the second question. Where do you live? Like what state are you in? I live in Georgia. I live okay. in the North, the North Georgia mountains. Okay. And we own storage facilities all over Georgia. Okay. That's what I was going to ask you. Do you stay in Georgia or do you have facilities? We, we stay in Georgia. Okay. We stay in Georgia just because like we know Georgia, we know Georgia law, tenant law, storage law. We, we have looked outside, which is not really a big deal to go out and, and because essentially the thing with storage facilities is that if you learn, if you learn how to run these, they are, they're totally virtual. Yeah. They're totally electronic, totally passive, totally virtual. So you can really be anywhere in the country and run your storage facilities. And I have students that are like live in California and own in, in Missouri or live in like, I have one student that lives in Florida and is, oh, is buying one in Maine right now. Okay. Totally doable. Right. Okay. But we just happen to like, you know, we just happen to just be buying them all. And I delegated the acquisitions process off now. And uh, my, my, like my acquisitions person, he just basically drives around Georgia and talks to all the storage facility owners okay. and tries to get them to sell to us. That's ultimately his job. So can you tell the folks listening, including myself, because I, I already said it, I'm totally, this is outside of my wheelhouse. How, and a, I know there's probably a lot to it and I know you have um, training and things like that. So it's a little nuanced, I'm sure. But in general, how does one look at a storage facility and have any clue? Like I'm assuming like most other investments, there's kind of an 80-20, like you can evaluate it real fast using these couple of things. And then once it looks like something, you dive in a little deeper. What is some of that high level sorting that you do to figure out if it's a good deal? So it's so storage facilities are commercial real estate. So number one, you have to learn how to run commercial real estate analysis, essentially. Yeah. And so that ultimately that is your goal. Um, you know, so you need to really truly understand cap rate, ROI, yield, cash on cash return. You know, you have to really look at the bigger picture and run the numbers. That's number that's the step, that's kind of the hardest part of the whole thing. Okay. Okay. But to do a quick analysis, um, you're gonna know, you're gonna wanna know uh four things. You're gonna wanna know what your cap rate is. So the, okay. ultimately the, the goal is to figure out what that cap rate is. Okay. Okay. And you do that by coming up with four um for uh, um, in, uh, infor I guess what infor informations, I don't know what the word for that is, but so um, purchase price, uh, annual income, vacancy rate, and annual expenses. Okay. When you have those four things, you can calculate your cap rate and your cap rate is really based on your location. Okay. okay? 
So the way that cap rate works is in the storage investing world. So this is not, you cannot compare this to like multifamily or other like retail. So the storage facility is kind of its own world, but essentially the way it works is you're gonna have a five to 7% cap rate when you're inside the ma a major city. Okay. Okay, five to 7% cap rate, 7% uh, being good, right? So we live like, if I was gonna buy in the Atlanta area, if I got a 7% cap rate, that would be awesome. 6% is normal, 5% is like, okay. 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 And then, and usually like the big REITs and public storage and all that, they're buying at like five to 7% cap rates most of the time. Okay. okay. Cause they're buying, you know, in the bigger Metro areas, yep. as you go out of those primary, that's a primary area. As you go out of the primary area, you're going to your secondary market and the secondary market's going to be like the burbs. Right. Yep. So in the Atlanta area, it'd be like Alpharetta and Peachtree City and all these kind of, you know, Roswell and all this kind of stuff. And that would be like an eight to nine percent cap rate, eight to nine, probably an eight. And then the further that you go out from a primary market, your cap rate gets bigger and bigger and bigger. When you get into what's called tertiary markets, that's when you're having like 10 plus. So if you're in the middle of nowhere in the country, then you should be shooting for 10 plus cap rates. And so we focus on, and you really have to look at like how much money can you bring to the table, mm -hmm. right? Because essentially with commercial real estate, there's two ways to fund your deals. Number one, so there's, there's, there's like, I'd say two or three ways to fund your deals. One of them is private money. And the second one is hard money. And third one is like going to a bank. Mm -hmm. or like an SB, SBA loan, okay? Yeah, yep. And it really depends on what kind of a property that you get, depending on is it mismanaged properties or is it cash flowing properties? If it's a mismanaged property, property a bank is not going to fund that. Okay. So you have to get a private lender or a hard money lender to fund that deal. Private you said money mismanaged money. properties? Mismanaged okay. properties. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, that means that they're like not full. A lot of properties are, a lot, a lot, a lot of properties are mismanaged. This is not easy to, I mean, this is not difficult to find. Yeah. All right? But you just have to have the funding for that. Yep. You have to understand this more, it's riskier. I love mismanaged properties because the value add is so good. So it's yeah. basically like buying, you know, a property on 25, like 25 to 50 cents on the dollar. Yeah. Yeah. That's essentially what it looks like. Okay. Yeah. And then you have the cash flowing properties. And the cash flowing properties are the ones where you um you can get a PL and a balance sheet and you can get tax returns. The key is tax returns from that owner. Okay. And they'll show you like, and then when they have when they when they make that money, they're proud to show those tax returns to you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And they're like, because they want the highest amount of money that they can get for that property, right? Yeah. And so when you do an income producing property, you can go to a bank or get an SBA loan, a local, like preferably a local bank or an SBA loan, right? Okay. And, um, and when you do a mismanaged property, you're gonna go to like a private lender or a hard money lender to, to, to fund those, right? Okay, okay. And that's basically how it works. And they're going to look at essentially is the, how the, is the deal a good deal, like based on what it's producing, but also they're gonna run numbers on, that on, the, on the cap rate. So on a mismanaged property, obviously your cap rate is gonna suck, yeah. right? Because yeah. you're not producing any income, but they look at the opportunity Right. So in a year, what is it going to be making? Right. Yeah. yeah. And then on the income producing side, they're going to be looking at that cap rate. Is it a five to seven an, an eight to nine or tertiary 10 market? Yeah. So you really have to understand kind of your cap rate based on the location. And then and then you and then you reverse engineer on an income produ producing property, reverse engineer how much money you can put down. 
So you're going to have, you're going to need like 20% down for an income producing property. Okay. Right. So you say, okay, like I have $50,000 or I have a hundred thousand dollars that I can put down, or I know somebody I can partner with that's got like $200,000 and I could be the boots on the ground person running the thing. And this person can fund it. And then you can partner and then you can get loans based on that. So you really have to kind of reverse engineer how much money you can bring to the table for an income producing property. And you know, you can do the same thing for a mismanaged property as well too. Or you can do what I do, which is just get private lenders to come in and just fund that deal for you. Okay. Right, and they'll fund it. Let me ask you, so you said cap rates are higher the farther out from the city you go, right? And I know this is an oversimplification, but I'm asking you this question, not to be funny, but to like understand, why not just go out into the country for everything you get? It's higher cap rates, like why not do it? I'm assuming vacancies are higher, but why, why, do you, why would anyone buy in the city if cap rates are five or six, when you could go and get 10 plus out in the country? That's a very good question. I would love to know that as well too. <laughs> I mean, I that's that's the one thing I don't understand, like especially but you know, it's all based on, you know, it's all based on what your risk level is, right? So, you know, these big huge cube smart and U-Hauls, they don't want to take huge big risks. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And the riskier and the higher the cap rate, the riskier the property. Okay. Essentially is kind of how it, how how it looks. So, do you buy most of your properties sort of outside of the city then you, you go farther I'm doing out. like secondary or tertiary markets okay is what i'm doing mostly tertiary and the reason why is because my lender my private lenders i have two ways of funding my deals one of them is a private lender comes to me and just says like look i want to give you a couple hundred thousand dollars right and most private lenders they only have a couple they have a couple hundred thousand dollars or they have more but the first time they lend to you they don't want to give you a million dollars right or something like this so essentially they'll just say look i want to give you a couple hundred thousand dollars and i'll say okay fine i'll go find a storage facility for that much okay and that brings up another question so um is it well let me just say this real quick i'm going to put a i want to put an uh, end on that question i had so the cap rates are higher as you go out into secondary tertiary markets in the country or whatever is the I, I assume risk equals vacancy? Is that is that accurate? Risk equals vacancy, but also population of towns, location, um, and really t- and the, and competition. Oh, okay. So for instance, like in Georgia, we have towns where it's like fifteen thousand people, and there's like five storage facilities. Uh, and then we have towns of like fifteen thousand people, and there's like fifteen storage facilities. Yeah. Well, yeah. I live in a town of five thousand people, and there's like. 15 storage facilities. Wow. I mean, I would wow. never ever buy or build here. Okay. And I don't know why they're all full though, which is very weird, but like <laughs> I would never buy or build here where I live because it's just, it's just not, you know, it's not feasible yeah. right in the long term. but you can find towns. And I always teach my students. It's a great way for everybody to start looking now is to look, start really educating yourself on the population of your towns. And then what you do is you kind of, like I said, you reverse engineer how much money do you have or you can come up with. So then you can say, look, I know I can come up with $500,000. And so then you start looking in towns and say of like maybe five to 10,000 people. So you really kind of, you have to figure it out within your state where the numbers are going to fall perfectly and stuff. And we figured out in the state of Georgia where we look, like we want to buy something that's between three and $500,000. We have to look in these size towns and they only have this much storage right total square foot yep that's kind of how you look at it okay and just for the folks who are listening that are really really new to all this especially cap rates can you summarize in a super like 
how you might talk to a five-year-old, what a cap rate is. What is that? How do you calculate cap rate? And how is it different from just a rate of return, just ROI? Cap rate. I mean, essentially cap rate is just, is basically what, uh, what the, the industry believes is your risk level, okay. right? So it's really, it's a really a risk level thing. So it's like, Oh, what's the NOI and you know, all the like how you minus the operation expenses and all this. And so you don't know what that is unless you know what all the numbers are. Right. Right. The truth is so really when you think of cap rate, so we're talking, when I'm talking to anybody that wants to talk about storage facilities, I'm basically saying, what is your risk level? Right. How much money can you bring to the table? And then you say, look, you know, I uh, I can I can brief bring five hundred thousand dollars to the table. And I know, well, you're not going to be in a five to seven percent cap rate because essentially you're not going to be able to buy anything in that in that, uh, uh, you know, area. Yeah. Now, if you're living, let's say, in like, um, you know, let's just say like a town that has like 50 to 100,000 people. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the cap rates going to be that I mean, the, the prime area. Right. It, the primary area is going to be very small in that. So the downtown area of Augusta, Georgia, yeah. right, would be five to seven percent. But that secondary market, that's going to be a huge secondary market. Yeah. So, you know, that you could like an eight to nine percent cap rate, you could definitely find in the burbs of Augusta. And you say, OK, I know I can afford two, three, four hundred thousand dollars. I'm going to look in the secondary markets of smaller towns. Right. Okay. Or I can only afford. $150,000. I mean, we, we buy properties that are, you know, you know, $150,000 all the time. And uh, in either way, they'll keep them or wholesale them. And you can find those just in the middle of, um, you know, in the middle in like the little tinier towns, yeah, right? Yeah. And then, and then what we do, what we do is we create portfolios. So you could say, look, I only can afford $150,000 right now. So I'm going to go into these towns and I'm going to look for something to buy there. But then I know that that's my base. Okay. That's my base. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to find within an hour radius, two, three or four other storage facilities. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to create what's you're going to create this little mini portfolio. Okay. Okay. And that is, that is even worth more than, you know, just having that one fifty unit in like a town of, you know, 5,000 people or something like yeah. that. You know? So if you can have like four units of 50 E, I mean, four facilities of 50 each, I mean, that's 200 units. And you could sell those together as a portfolio. That's that's worth so much more than one unit of like fifty, you, you know, fifty dollars. Fifty. So units. is the plan with storage units to build them, get them running properly in the mismanaged um, um, case, and then sell them? Is that is that kind of the point, or is it to hold them for indefinitely? Well, you know, we're kind of like, we're trying to, we're trying to figure that out as well, too. I mean, we're like, we're buying whole, we're holding them as long as we possibly can. Um, but, uh, you know, the market is so hot right now that we're thinking about even selling a couple of them, you know? Yeah. yeah. So but, is the market hot for storage units too, then just like the real, just like the residential market, it does it normally follow or is it just coincidentally hot as well? You know, storage facility is storage facilities. And this is why I love this industry too. It's considered recession resistant. Okay, that's a good question. I was going to ask you that. Yeah. So essentially in a downturn and an upturn, it's very like stable, right? But the thing is, we're kind of in a weird position right now because like all these hotel people, you know, they like, okay, we're getting out of the hotel business and we're going to go into storage. There's a lot of people that are moving from different industries into storage right now. Okay. And, you know, those are all bigger ones, which is okay because we need bigger facilities as well, too. 
but um, but in, I'm telling you, in those secondary and especially tertiary markets, there is not enough storage facility. All of our facilities that are in like tertiary markets are full, and we need more space. I assume that's not unique to Georgia. You think that is that something a statement you can make everywhere? everywhere? Okay, everywhere. Okay. Is there anything physically about a storage facility that would just turn you off and you're like, I don't even care what they're asking. I don't want a part of it. Like, are there certain baseline uh, um, attributes of a, of a facility that you look for to be interested or could it be a total dumpster fire? I look for double digit cap rates. Okay. I try to get the highest cap rate, you know, I get the, the most bang for my buck is what I want, right? Yeah. So we're looking for double digit cap rates on the uh, opportunity side if it's a mismanaged facility. So like we just bought one and um, it's like a hundred, I think it was like actually the owner, the owner did not know how many units he had. He told us 105 <laughs> and then when we bought it, we found out it was 115. So that's hilarious. <laughs> it's just funny, isn't it? Yeah. And I'm telling you they're out there, but um we bought that one for about 275 and and it's like he said he was making a thousand dollars a month which was like half of that which is also normal for mismanaged facilities they have no idea what they're making mm-hmm. and um and so it's going to take us about a year to get that thing cleaned up and then filled up right because it's all it's almost 100 percent full of junk yeah Right. So we have to clean all that up and fill it up. And then once we do that, then it's going to take us another like, you know, a couple of years to turn a profit and start making that profit. And then we'll refi it out. But essentially, when we refi that out within the next like three to four years, it's going to be worth like six hundred, seven hundred thousand dollars, that thing. Okay. So the value add on the back end, and that's why I love mismanaged properties, is that value add on the back end, you can usually, don't, you know, there's, you know, hit or misses, but usually yeah. double your value, value add. Um, and if you want to do new construction, you can triple that. I mean, new construction is the way to go right now, especially for storage facilities. And it's not that expensive to do new construction if you just, if you have a strong stomach, right? That's the only thing is because, you know, when you do new construction, that's a lot of work. Right. And it takes a long time to do that. Yeah. You know, a couple, it's going to take you a couple of years, but like I had one, I had somebody just did a consultation with me and um, they, they borrowed $500,000 and, um, and they put 150 units in, they graded, they took the trees down, graded, built the whole thing up. It was $500,000 to do that. They're starting to fill it up and they just got it appraised for $1.5 million. Wow. Right. So that's now it has to be 90% full, but they, they ran the numbers at 90% full. Your your storage facility will be worth $1.5 million. And, and how much investment did you say? 500000 500000 Okay. Yeah. I'm saying so that's why you can like, you can really triple that on the on the new construction. If you have enough money to, you have to put 20% down for that. Yeah. So if you if you're one of those people that I talk to all the time, it's like I got the best piece of property for a storage facility. Now is the time to do that. Talk to your local bank. All right. Don't go to like Wells Fargo or anything like this. Right. Yeah. And talk to your local banks and they love storage facilities or go or talk to a, a bank that can do an SBA loan. They love storage facilities. Put that 20 percent down and get out there and just start the process. It's, it's going to take you a couple of years, though. Yeah. You know. okay. Is that, Are you looking at new construction personally or are you going to stick with mismanaged? Well, so we like so essentially we started out now uh, we started out doing mismanaged properties. And what we've found over the last like couple of years is there's like this kind of like a sweet spot. And it's like, it's like an, it's like a a 700,000 to like a $1.2 million facility. Mm 
And the reason why is because you have all these like newbies that want to get into storage and they can afford, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars down to, yeah. to get a storage facility. And then you have all these like the big one, the big people that are like they want to do like two million plus and that's it, you know. Yeah. And then you have this kind of like middle spot that everybody just forgets. They forget about. And so essentially what we did is we started a fund, a Reg D fund, and we're in the process of putting that together. And that fund will be used to buy those middle-sized properties. And if if anything, building something that would be kind of that middle size as well too. Because I really feel like that's a good sweet spot that a lot of people are missing. Okay, good. It, now I, I want to ask you, because I have a note here, I want to ask you about the five ways to make money in self-storage. What are the five ways that people can make money in self-storage? We talked about mismanaged facilities. Yep. We talked about income producing properties. Yep. We talked about new construction. Mm -hmm. And then one other thing is developing and conversions. So okay. for, you know, I'm talking about like um, these retail buildings, like we just like one of my students actually just put an offer on a guy that bought a, an old uh, blockbuster, you know, old blockbuster that went kaput. Yeah, and he, yeah. he changed it into climate controlled. Okay. And now he's, he's had it for like five years or whatever or something. And now he's selling it. And so my student's going to buy it. And so that kind of stuff, you'll see like a lot of conversions, these retail buildings that are now being converted into, um, right. into storage facilities. That's okay. conversions. Now you have to have money up front for that because those buildings cost like a couple million dollars, yeah. you know, but just so you know, if you, if you know partners or whatever, if you're like, oh, I know how to syndicate, if you're listening or anything like that, that would be perfect for you is the development and, and, and you'll see a lot more of those coming up. And then finally, the fifth one is wholesaling. Hmm. wholesaling storage facilities you don't people don't realize that if you're like if you're if you're somebody right now that's like i ain't got no money and i don't know what i'm gonna do with storage facilities you need to learn how to wholesale storage facilities i have one guy in my um my coaching program right now he put he is paying his wholesaler a hundred and fifty thousand dollar fee Wow. So he put it under contract for $1.65 million and 150,000 of that is going to the wholesaler. Wow. Okay. So yeah. let me ask you, now you just piqued my interest a little more. I'm a wholesaler of residential real estate. Mm -hmm. If I were, let's just say I fell face first into a great rental, I mean, sorry, into a great storage facility um, deal, how would I even find someone like where I wouldn't know where to go to find someone who is interested in self-storage. How let's just say that I know your answer might be call me cause I know people, but in general, if I'm listening to yeah. this, like where do I go? Is there a central, is there a place I can go where there are people interested in this? Just start with Facebook, Facebook groups. Okay. In fact, everybody on here should be like, you know, Facebook storage, storage groups, right? And join my group. It's called Storage Nerds. Okay. That's the name of my group. Yep. But um, essentially, that would be the, that would be a good start. But the thing I want to say about wholesaling storage facilities is it's not like residential. Okay. So in residential, you could be like, all right, I got this property under contract and I'm going to text my buyer's list the address. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Don't work like that in commercial world. Okay. Okay. You need a, you need to prepare a package. Okay. The most beautiful package in the world that wines and dines your, your buyers. And what that means, you have to prepare this like whole, like a whole presentation with like the unit mix and like the whole details where it is. And then all of the numbers, all the expenses, everything that has to go with it. You, cre you prepare this package and um, because we're spoiled. <laughs> what if I find a really great, horribly mismanaged facility? They don't have those numbers. 
Yes, you need to, You actually, you just, all you do, you still do the same thing. What's the purchase purchase price? What's the total square footage? What is the, um, you know, any unit mix? You know, you have to, you have to create, you have to basically sell yeah, yeah. this, you know, so it's not like you get like, you know, like in residential, you get a text message, just like, check out this thing, do your own due diligence. It just doesn't <laughs> work like that. And you'll never ever, in fact, you'll just make a fool of yourself. Yeah, yeah. So, and then another thing is that you have to give the numbers to you have to give your numbers and your uh, pro forma to us so that okay. we can check it and see it so you have to learn how to run commercial deal analysis yeah, yeah so i mean i get i get like i get people all the time that are following me and they're like hey i got a storage facility up the street you know can you partner with me and i'm like no i got time for that sorry put together a nice package i'll take a look at it and i'll look at the numbers yeah yeah. You know, and that's really how it works in the whole okay. investing, storage investing world. And you keep in mind that the storage investing world is very, very small. And uh, the what the people that are really doing it is just few and far between. Hmm. Right. Okay. So you have to really learn who is actually buying. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, listen, I, I'm uh, I'm completely interested in this because I know that residential is it is not recession proof. It's crazy up and down. Obviously, you have to understand what market you're in, and it drastically changes your strategy. And uh, I think that more of a passive kind of a vehicle like this is really interesting. And multifamily and commercial is very very something. Certainly, you know, I'm a big fan of focusing. So if you're a house flipper and you just started, like. And you like flipping houses, yeah. get like get really good at that. Figure it out, focus and dial in. And once you have that systems and processes and you have this business that can kind of run without you every day and you want to branch out, by all means, branch out. Or if you haven't started any sort of investing and this sounds like what you could be passionate about, by all means, go straight to uh, Stacy Rossetti's uh, website, uh, StacyRossetti.com, I believe is what it is. We're going to have it in the show notes. So you guys, you can you don't have to pull over or get off the treadmill, whatever you're doing. Just go to my website. Go to MikeSimmons.com. You can see that. Uh, go check out what she has. She teaches people how to do this. So if you don't know, you don't understand, if I didn't ask the questions that were rattling around in your head while I was talking, go straight there and get your answers. Stacy. I really appreciate you doing this. It's been a lot of fun. It's been a learning experience for me. I don't know this industry very well or this segment of the industry. So um, thank you for doing it. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you so much for letting me come on. Of course. Thank you. And I'll talk to you next time. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. Storage uh, investing is something that I am not familiar with. So I like having people on who are doing something at a high level that I, I truly don't know a lot about. It puts me a little bit in your seat. Not that you don't know about real estate. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But when I don't, I feel like it allows me to ask the questions that maybe a lot of you are thinking about. Whereas when I have someone on who has is doing something that I'm very familiar with, I want to make sure I'm always trying to get into your brain as the listener. And it's really easier to do that when I have somebody on who's doing something I'm just clueless about. So that was a lot of fun. I enjoyed that. It's a interesting segment of our industry. And if it's something that interests you, go check her out, go check out all of her stuff, get into it and, and learn about it. But ultimately, guys, just take action, get out there and go for it. Start doing something because doing nothing will get you exactly what you've gotten in the past. Start doing something new, take action and watch the results happen. Guys, get out there and make something happen for yourself. I hope you enjoyed this and I'm going to bring you another great one next time, but get out there and get to work. All right. We'll talk to you next time. Okay. 
you're still there. You're still listening. That's awesome. And I really appreciate that. Now, hopefully it wasn't an accident. Hopefully you didn't leave the room and I'm just talking to an empty room right now. But assuming you're still there, I want to do something really, really cool for you. For a limited time, I want to give you a free digital download of my book, the entire book, level jumping. If you're a listener to the show, you know it just came out and it really details how I took my business from being like one where I was just doing a few deals a month, maybe one or two deals a month to doing over 10 and sometimes 15 deals a month and over a hundred a year. And I went from doing very little profit to over a million dollars in profit. And I made that transformation in a 12 month period. And this book talks about what I did, the steps I took to transform my business and how you can too. So grab a free digital download and you can get that by texting the words, just start as two words. Now just start to the number five, five, four, four, so text just start to 55444. I will send you a free digital download of my book. It's the complete book. There's nothing held back. And that'll be completely yours just for making it to the end of the show and listening to me. And I really, really appreciate it, guys. So I want to do something nice for you. I do this every once in a while at the end of shows. And if you listen to the very end, every once in a while, I do a giveaway like this. So hopefully you enjoy that. Go grab a free copy. I hope you read it. I hope you love it. Reach out. Let me know what you think. All right, guys. Talk to you next time.